I had a studio and I was painting. And because the weather was what they call inclement, I decided that I wouldn't give myself any excuse not to paint every day. And so I started painting still lives and I made landscapes out of a table covered with china. And in the early days, I was totally disinterested in color. I was only painting white china on white cloths against a white marble fireplace or something. That would be one of my subjects. I never had anything with color. And then little by little, I began to go to the Victorian Albert Museum and see these wonderful oriental paintings and little Indian miniatures with a hundred different patterns crammed into one little tiny painting that was six inches square, you know. And so I would, I came home and I started going down to the market and finding a flowery teapot that I would put on a paisley cloth. And then some of those African robes and things began to come into my things and patchwork quilts. And, and then it just became more and more and more patterned and baroque until in the end, I was just like nothing but color and pattern. Welcome to Hello Atelier. My name is Betsy Blodgett, and I'm alongside producer Jonathan Getz. For the last decade, I've been working, in some form or another, in the sewing and quilting industry. It's a fabulous world to live in, full of creative people making everything from quilts to clothing. And twice a year, the industry flocks to the quilt market, which is a wonderland of new fabric designs. And if you're lucky, you get to meet the mystical creators of all that gorgeous fabric. As somebody whose wardrobe consists primarily of concert and record store tees, I'm not as hip to the textile industries. But I certainly understand every industry has its rock stars, and I definitely get that the opportunity to rub elbows with them brings you closer to their art. Now, in this fabric world, there is one person who is the Elvis of the industry. As he passes by, quilters swoon in his wake. And that person, Kay Fassett, is today's guest. Swoon indeed. When we started planning our trip to England, I knew you wanted to take advantage of our proximity to the king of color. But I wasn't even sure if he was American or British. My knowledge was lacking. Well, he's kind of both. He grew up in California, where his parents owned the famous Nepenthe Restaurant, which was a haven for creatives. Then in 1964, he traveled to England to develop his art, and never left. You see, Cave doesn't just design fabric. He also designs knitwear, needlepoint, quilts, mosaics, you name it, Cave has likely made it. Judging by his studio, I could tell he's quite prolific. First, a hollyhock mosaic, along with a neighborhood cat, greeted us just outside the front door. Then, once inside, the energy just beams at you from all directions. I mean, there is so much to see. Piles of needlepoint cushions in corners, his own wallpaper-decked walls, and of course, piles of fabric and yarn. The color was, how to put it, abundant. Well, Cave is known for his phenomenal use of color. His work is full of rich shades that would scare off the less adventurous. But the way he pairs his robust reds and bountiful blues is mesmerizing. In short, there's an energy here that even rock and rollers could feed off of. Undoubtedly. Let's go back with Cave to the beginning, on that first trip to England, when rock and roll was getting into full swing. I came to this country for a vacation. I was going to be here for a few months. Ended up staying 
what is it now, <laughs> since 1964. So I, I, I really liked it here. I, I was very at home with the English. The Beatles were just surfacing and starting to affect the entire world culture. And there were many other things. You know, there was the whole culture of dressing up, of the kind of poor people, you know, the poor artists and the poor, you know, young kids would go down to the flea markets and buy uh, old Indian bedspreads or, or doormans coats. I mean, there was a big thing about, you know, wearing a kind of uniform type clothes. So anything from the army or from the navy, from the uniform world became part of our, our way of playing. But but then we would applique flowers and things onto it. And it was just an extraordinarily creative time. And it, it didn't have to do with money. You know, it's like when people get what they call creative with fashion nowadays, it's spending a fortune on a t-shirt and and showing it off, you know, and it'll be some plain little black thing, but but everyone knows that it's a blah 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 label. And and none of that. It was it was not a snobbery about that. It was playful. It was the dress-up box of the world's cultures. And so you got these fabulous mixtures. And then and then of course London at that time was full of Africans arriving with great big all over flowery pajama outfits and a fabulous hat to go with it or a great turban or something. And I don't know, I just found all of that so exotic and exciting because I was always interested in color. And it was a time when you could really play with color in your everyday clothes. My mother and my sister were both incredible knitters, but um, I, I never got with it until I came to England. And then that was, I suppose, in my 30s, I went on a trip up to Scotland and found these amazing yarns that were just so beautiful. And I bought 20 yarns and learned how to knit on the train back to London. You know, it took 20 minutes to learn. And I'm always amazed at people that are astounded at what I can do. I, what I do is very, very simple technically. And when I started to knit, that became a total obsession. I mean, I just knitted constantly. I, I found it was such an easy thing to do and you could express yourself and you could use lots of colors. I put 20 colors in my first sweater and I never looked back. And so I was like haunting museums and looking at patterns that I could use in my knitting. Uh, and that people immediately responded to that because I was this big six foot four guy knitting, and so it, it, I was like a, a freak, which was very attractive to the press and things. So I got a lot of publicity that you know most people wouldn't get usually for doing something like knitting. I knew an art editor who worked for Vogue called Barney Wan that knew everybody that was going, and and he would come to my studio and look at what I was doing and liked it. And so I just said to him, um, I'm thinking of maybe going to Vogue to show them uh, my knitting. And he said, very good idea. And he said, here's who you go and see. And he mentioned this wonderful Irish woman called Judy Britton. So I just took it in and I slapped down this god-awful sweater. I mean, it was so badly made. But it was beautiful because it had all these beautiful heathery colors from the landscape of Scotland in these yarns. And she just took one look and she said, this is where knitting is going in the future. 
and she just absolutely saw it. So that was very exciting to, to have that confirmation. For some time, you worked with the designer, Bill Gibbs. That's right. Well, he was with me on the very first trip when I learned how to knit. Oh, really? Yeah. And so the first thing he did was encourage me to think about giving him ideas for his fashion line. And I I went to Vogue magazine and I said, you know, there's this young designer. He's doing some fabulous dresses and wonderful skirts. And he's got this flair that's fantastic. And the editor there said... I will do a story on him if you do the knitting, if you design the knitwear for him. And I said, well, you know, that's amazing. Uh, I would love to do that. So I went and took him to the V&A, and we looked at these uh, wonderful Indian miniatures and the Persian miniatures. And I said, look at all that pattern on pattern on pattern. It's flowers on top of checks, on top of stripes, on top of geometric prints and so forth and i said you know we've got to put all of that into our fashion and make it zingy and unforgettable and totally different from because you know looking back at history or seeing jackie kennedy would wear you know a little pillbox hat and a little pink suit and it was courage and it was all one color and all the people that were talking about the future of fashion were saying that there would be no sewing at all eventually you would just put some serum into a big body form and out would pop an outfit and people would wear these things you know and there was going to be there was no time for anything like a pattern or you know any intricacies and we wanted to go the exact opposite way we wanted to go back to the craftsman and and do um applique and uh embroidery and you know it, it richer and the more time consuming and the more hands on the better that led the, the idea of knitting to go with i mean uh, billy then began to say all right I'm going to use my tartans. I'm going to use flower prints with those tartans. And then I would look at that and say, well, I could do a knitted sweater that would reflect both of those textures, and that would be the top of the outfit and so forth. And so we we really made all the fashion writers really sit up and uh, take notice because it was something quite new for that time. I would see these people doing needlepoint, and they would... They would be very slow and gradual and one stitch at a time and very ladylike and it would take them six years to do an eyeglass case or something. And I was thinking, it just looks really complicated, but I'd like to try it because I could make faces and I could do fruits and vegetables and things and flowers in detail, which I couldn't really do with my knitting. And so I designed a piece of needlepoint for somebody that worked at Vogue magazine and I started stitching a little bit on it just to show her where the colors would go. Before I knew it, I'd finished the whole thing. It was a huge paperweight uh, design. And it went so fast and it was so easy that I thought, well, what the hell is all this palaver about it being complicated and taking forever? And so I just, uh, then I did a book. I decided to to hell with it. Let's get this book going. So I, I, knowing nothing about the whole subject, I did a whole book on cushions and faces and big carpets. The first project we did for the book was an enormous carpet with a great big grid on it and huge roses and things like that. So it was really fun. 
uh, it was fun to be able to express oneself in a very painterly way. Kind of brought back my, my painting techniques. Around the time Cave began to make the Oz-like jump from a neutral palette to a pageant of color, he also went traveling. As he roamed, he kept a keen eye out for a local textiles, finding inspiration for color and pattern everywhere he went. Somebody told me I should go to India, and I said, oh, I don't know if I have time. And he said, I thought you could make your own time, that you had your, your own boss. And I thought, boy, that was a red rag. I thought, you're right. I should get out and see the world. And so I went to Afghanistan and Pakistan, Turkey, all around those countries for about three months trip and it cost me less than 300 pounds because I was like sleeping on floors and taking old buses and I would ride in the back of old wagons from farms and, and it was just amazing how, how one got around and it gave you a wonderful view of the fantastic uh, imagination that people put into their clothes. Did you find that each area has its own like very different textile not history but culture yeah and that i was of course drawn to the places where they weren't afraid of color and really loved it so i was fascinated by um india and guatemala and africa you know my god the africans would just take a piece of fabric and tie it around their head and look like the most fabulous creature that ever was and it would just be some rag that they picked up in the market so that was just that daring and that utter creativity and and, and then when we went to guatemala to do work for oxfam which is this charity you know to try to design some textiles for them to make well what they were making was so earth-shatteringly wonderful you know we couldn't even add to it i mean we gave them a few ideas and it was limp compared to what they did every day you know just shocking pinks and screaming blues and things put together and, you know and this would be made by some woman who lived in a house that had a dirt floor and no running water and no toilet you know and she would come out of this looking fabulous and these amazing outfits so but my excitement about using color just grew and grew and grew it just was never ending Walk into any independent quilting fabric store, and there is a strong likelihood that you will find a wall of Kaif-designed prints. Or, at the very least, one of his many books of quilt designs. His work is so rich with color and layered with prints that you can't help but be drawn in for a closer look. And when you get there, what a surprise! You find a garden of giant roses, huge paisley prints, and even a bed of technicolor cabbages. What happened is we went to Oxfam and I did these incredible stripes that were woven in, in um, the jungles of India. And they were so gorgeous that the whole patchwork world sat up and started taking notice and getting excited. And we gave them to some quilt makers in America. But we didn't really know how to market them or what to do. And then... Finally, this man took the whole project on called Bridgewater, and he, he started this company called Westminster, and he asked me to design a few prints to go with the stripes, and that's how it all started. And one of the prints I did was called Roman Glass 
based on little fragments of glass from the Victorian Albert Museum in these drawers that you would pull out. And they were like like those little kind of um, glass candies. You know, they were like beautiful little circular forms, very complicated and rich. And I would just take that idea and put it into a fabric. That design is still in the range 25 years later, which is just amazing. But anyway, everything was small scale. So you could cut these tiny little pieces and the whole story would be right there. And, you know, the first thing I did was Swiss chard plants that were (laughs) quite big. I came from what turned me on was the way the English used fabulous furnishing fabrics at that time, you know, drapes with huge bouquets of flowers and great ribbons and everything had this kind of wonderful 1940s panache about it or or earlier wonderful victorian fabrics and so forth and they would put a lot of those things into their quilts big big scale uh huge paisleys and things and i love that so i brought that kind of scale into the whole patchwork world and of course, there was huge resistance at first. You know, a lot of people just wouldn't touch me. But eventually, uh, shops would get won over because their customers would keep coming in with one of my books, saying, "We want to make these quilts, and don't you have this guy's fabrics?" And so, little by little, it, it was the vote of the people that kind of got me in. Now, every season, I design a collection of prints and work with two other designers, Brandon Mabley and uh, Philip Jacobs. We call ourselves the Cave Collective. And then we make quilts based on the latest collection. This great big box arrives, and that's all the fabrics from the, the latest collection. And I just spread them across the floor and just kind of study them, live with them for a bit, and see what that suggests something. And then I, I have these incredible books on old antique quilts. So I get those out and I look at old forms because what I love is the way quilts were laid out in the past. It's just it's just so beautifully rich and exciting that I, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. You know, I don't need to make a statement with the actual way the fabrics are laid out. The statement is made by using new colors and new forms in the fabrics themselves put into these old recipes. Because what 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 the old people did with a simple square or a triangle or a diamond or a circle is just it's just fabulous and it's just endless inspiration comes from the past, I find. Keith is as much a teacher as he is an artist. He travels the world with his partner, Brandon Mabley, teaching workshops, guiding students through his world of color while they quilt, knit, or needlepoint. Quilters are horrified at the kind of things I put together, but a little kitsch and humor is fun. You know, because, you know, the baseball and football and basketball, and I would make people put those into their quilts with our fabrics and they were wonderful what are the most common reservations that you've seen over the years with your students i mean one of the absolute classics one is i'll say why don't you put a polka dot now here's a wonderful you know wonderful colored polka dot why don't you put that in but i already have one polka dot am i allowed to have two oh i said where's the polka dot police oh you know 
I can add red when I've actually got pink in there or I've got orange or whatever. You know, I just, for God's sakes, yes. You know, I and you start teach people about the vibration of shades of color coming in. We very rarely have a workshop that isn't incredibly inspiring and exciting. And, you know, people bring to the workshops our fabrics. So we get this incredible market research. We're seeing how they use our fabrics, which ones are favorites, which ones they've been coveting for years and didn't dare cut into and all of that stuff. So that's always very interesting to see what it is that appeals to people. But also they bring other people's fabrics and they bring ethnic fabrics and they bring fabrics that they find in a charity shop. And so all of that gets added together in these wonderful original, because they they make a quilt in a day by, by just placing it on a wall like this. So we get to see a fabulous arrangement. We help them make it really good and take out the things that are distracting and not working and and help the color to get higher and help them to buy a few more fabrics that are brighter and, you know, get a little more courage. So they they walk away. It's it's kind of like a religious revival. Design commissions have allowed CAFE to envision and create a wide variety of projects that range from tapestry to teapots. He has also had the opportunity to work on large-scale projects. When the Royal Shakespeare Company requested that he design the set and costumes for the 2000 production of As You Like It, CAFE took inspiration from an Elizabethan technique called stump work, which is a form of three-dimensional embroidery, to create the rich, textured look of the show. I love to be given a theme or to be given limitations or to make something match something else. I mean, like, like I love to make uh, an object for a room, you know, a, a fabulous a conversation piece chair or a fabulous tapestry or whatever. So doing, doing uh, As You Like It, which is what we did, that was the production that they wanted me to design uh, for the Millennium production. That, that was very, very exciting to do that. And... The minute they said, as you like it, and I was thinking about doing a Shakespeare play, into my mind came the idea of all those wonderful Elizabethan fabrics and those Elizabethan paintings and and all and the stump work and everything, you know, the beautiful embroidered pictures and all of that stuff. And out of the mouth of the director, who Greg Doran, this wonderful director with long romantic hair and everything. And he said to me, I see it as a stump work box. And I went, yes, absolutely. I was so thrilled. And then I heard Brandon saying, oh, and Cave's red. As you like it. I thought, no, I read Shakespeare. Oh, my God. So I did sit down and read it. And I was amazed how wonderful and rich it was. And then I would go to every rehearsal and hear those words over and over and the marvelous language. And the language is so colorful and full of beautiful images. And I was making huge needlepoint um, cushions that was part of the set because there's a point where the, every, we, we made the first part of the production, everything was black and white and gray, no color at all because it was the cold court and everything was very formal and cruel and horrible and winter-like. And then the second act, everything went into color. And so what we had as a floor covering, 
all in shades of gray suddenly became shades of fabulous bright lime green and mossy colors and then onto that we threw these huge shakespearean flowers upscale print you know sewn onto these uh, needlepoint cushions which they kept saying oh no we'll just paint these you don't have to stitch them and i said i want to and so i sat in the rehearsal making these huge cushions and it was the most wonderful thing to be making the set as i listened to these beautiful words when people come and say do you want to do another book this year yes and another sometimes we'll do three books a year i've got so many ideas and my mind is working overtime all the time to create things. There isn't enough books in the world to contain what I have in my mind. When people say, how do you get so much done? When you get stale on something, just put it aside and pick up something else. And that gives you energy to keep going, what I find. So, you know, here I'm designing a, a carpet and I'm also designing knitwear, which is on the wall, the Proving Connection designs are coming up for my next signs for that wonderful catalog. And then, you know, I might at, at the same time pick up something and start making a little patchwork or something uh, so that you keep refreshing yourself with with a new problem to solve. It's all problem solving, really. How do you make something as beautiful as possible? Thanks for joining us for Season 2 of Hello Atelier. If you enjoyed listening to Cave's story, be sure to check out our interview with his design partner, Brandon Madley, available now. Also, don't forget to visit helloatelier.org to see our photos of Cave and Brandon's color-filled studio and house. We'll be back with Season 3 in just a few months. If you skipped any episodes from the first two seasons, don't be shy about hearing from artists in unfamiliar disciplines. While our subjects can span the spectrum, they all have very relatable stories on what it takes to maximize creativity, overcome adversity, and achieve personal goals. Hello Atelier is a production of the Phonicalia Media Network. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe for free on iTunes or Google Play, or just tell a friend about the show. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and to live a little Hello Atelier every day.